Premier here. Today we have Mr. Martin Blackburn, who's the Director of Special Projects at Arena Americas here in America. Um, Martin, how's it going? It's going well. Uh, pleased to meet you. And uh, I appreciate you inviting me onto your podcast. This is my actually my first podcast I've ever done. So thank you. Likewise, it's a pleasure to have you on. It's very exciting. This is a new space for me, um, learning more about pop-up stadiums, or as I learned last week um, on the call was temporary structures. So can you just, you know, share a little bit of your background of, you know, how you got involved into this space? Well, into the space. So it's a, it's a, it's a 30 year space. I'll try and keep this uh, high level. So, um, you know, after my wasted education, um, I went into uh, mainstream construction. Um, I was mentored and coached by uh, some wonderful people uh, back in my hometown of uh, Newbury in Berkshire. Um, so the, I was channeled into kind of carpentry and joinery and spent many, many years um, you know, work, working in the local construction market. Um, and then uh, there was a bit of a recession going on in the kind of late 80s, early 90s in the UK. And, and I, I played rugby with a guy um, who owned a temporary seating business called Arena Seating. Actually, it was called Arena Promotional Facilities. And um, so his name was Jonathan Smith. Um, in fact, his brother, Terry Smith, is still involved in, in the business in the UK. And so he, he was looking for uh, someone to join the business and construction was down. Uh, events didn't seem to be, you know, um, as affected as, as it was in the, in the mainstream construction. So I jumped out of mainstream construction and got into the temporary construction. Mm. So temporary bleachers, temporary structure, you know, you know, demountable structures. And that's, that's how my career in, in this space was launched, was having a beer with a rugby buddy <clears throat> at the rugby club. Got it. And so is Arena Seatings um, not the same company as Arena? Are they two separate companies? So, so is it, you know, Arena, the group, so Arena Group is a, is a global company. Um, it, it was born um, by the Smith family uh, 40, 50 years ago. Um, so and then the, the the business just got bigger so it got sold a couple of times and and the and the uh the owners uh acquired businesses globally so we have presence of course in the uk arena americas uh we have big presence in the in the middle east in dubai doha uh we have presence in the far east so so we're so we're, we're a global company and the arena seating portion is still part of part of the group Understood. And you specifically focus on projects here in the US? Um, I do, yes. Um, I've lived here now for uh, in the US for 10 years. Um, I, I rejoined Arena. Um, I used to work for Arena back in the UK 30 years ago. Um, did, did, I think, 15, 16 years. H had a break from Arena, did some global stuff with, um, you know, with, with some uh, uh, Swiss company. Did some Winter Olympics, Summer Olympics. Um, came, and then came back to Arena just recently. So yes, I, I mainly concentrate on uh, just the uh, you know the, the key projects here in the US. Nice. What's the biggest project that you oversee? Oh, me personally. Uh, so I mean, at, at the moment, um, I'm more doing the business development side of things. So it would be more into you know look look looking further out into. You know, soccer World Cups, for example. Um, you know, we we have we've been engaged uh, 
in, in kind of communication with the Cricket World Cup, uh, people, um, you know, Cricket World Cup or the 2020 World Cups coming to the US in 2024. So they've started to think about their, you know, their temporary structures and, and how they can, you know, enhance their, 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 their clubs. Understood. Uh, so you know, physically overseeing, I mean, we have the Grand Prix uh, down in Miami. Um, that's, that's a huge um, piece of business for us. We also do the the Formula One Grand Prix in in um, in Austin, so big big pockets of work. And and then in terms of like uh, big contracts that we do for the PGA Tour and in, in the golf, we're very very big in the golf world. So we're involved in in the annual you know, U, U.S. Um, Open Golf. Um, every time there's a Ryder Cup here, we're involved in a Ryder Cup. So re, re, you know, re, re, recognizable um, events and projects. Understood. What are, you know, three challenges or maybe just one challenge that you faced, you know, working with Arena that you were like, wow, I, I never thought we would have came across this challenge, but we got through it. I, I, I would say that, uh, you know, on a daily basis, we are we are faced with challenges. Um, I think if you're talking from a business perspective, uh, we have. Um, you know, I, I always like to refer to the uh, the, the, the iceberg principle. <clears throat> you know, when you see um, an iceberg below the waterline, it's huge, and then above the waterline, it's just a little kind of you know ice that's popped up, and and you, and you and you can apply that to to many areas in life. And I always like to look at our operation. Um, so if you think about all the stuff that's below the waterline, you've got all the operations, you've got wonderful people doing the you know the freight and the logistics and the the labor planning and the scheduling and the you know the pure design of the structure so you've got all of that stuff below the waterline and then above the waterline i put you know customer and so he, he doesn't necessarily or sorry he she doesn't necessarily see what goes on below all they know is that they've ordered a structure or a te you know a temporary seating structure and they just want to want to deliver so you know i um, I'm not sure if that's answering your question, but that's I always I always like to refer. That's one of my favorite uh, iceberg principles. Is one of my favorite things I always refer to when when I get asked that question. Understood. So, it, from my understanding, it's sounding that you know a customer that's interested in, in investing into the company and hiring you guys to uh, you know bring a pop up stadium or a temporary structure um, for their their club for, per se. Let's focus on soccer that, you know, they just come to you to arena and, you know, they say, this is what we want. And you guys just make sure you guys do your part and um, provide that product and service um, in regards of temporary structure. And they don't have to worry about anything else. Correct. That uh, in terms of the, the, the physical purchase or the rental of, of the structure, absolutely not. I mean, there might be some permitting issues. Uh, um, so not issues. Uh, there might be some permitting challenges, perhaps, um, and, and generally Arena wouldn't get involved in permitting. We would provide everything for the customer to take to the permitting people. Um, but but yeah, to answer your question, we, as a business, you know, we pride ourselves on on developing, designing, um, revenue generating environments for you, a customer, right? Um, could be 5,000 seater stadium with some hospitality environments. So, you know, we have a, we have a dedicated team, uh, that, that kind of gets to that point. 
and the whole you know the whole pop-up you know you keep mentioning the pop-up thing is kind of a new it's a kind of a new uh word or words for me pop-up and it's uh but it's true it, it, it is you know we call it temporary structures or temp temporary infrastructures uh but actually pop you know pop-up stadiums uh describes it wonderfully well because if you as a customer purchased um, a structure or a number of some seating blocks by the sheer you know the, the the sheer nature of the description pop up means that that it can pop back down again right so you know if you have a um you know change in ownership of the land lease that you have um and or you fall out with your uh, with your landlord you know the structures that we can provide uh, um a club or a customer we can just take take the structure down we literally put on the back of trucks and we take it to a, to a new um place new location and we can pop it back up again and so and so when you as a customer are investing in an asset like that it's an asset you know it it, it just it's it's an asset forever Yes, of course. And you mentioned that there's an there's an option to rent, which is amazing too, if it makes financial sense, the structure of it. And then, you know, the second part to that is actually ownership owning this pop-up stadium, as I as I say. But I, I also <laughs> I, I also use temporary structure that I learned from you, Martin. So um yeah, that's that's amazing. And when I learned about pop-up stadiums, um, I thought it was very exciting. And to see, you know, Phoenix rising in USO championship, you know, doing this or uh, Inter-Miami, David Beckham, um, with their stadium doing this, it, it, it made so much sense. And, and then you, you mentioned, you know, you got Formula One or, or the Olympics, they're doing these things as well, which makes complete sense because they're there temporarily. Yes. It allows them to yeah. move. Um, do you see this, you know, moving the next four years, we're leading towards the World Cup in the US, Canada and Mexico. Do you see this, um, being um you know pop-up stadiums being more in use now more owners coming to um leading towards pop-up stadiums or is it still uh, they want to build their own so, uh, so it's a mixture of both so i think what arena uh does quite well is we pr provide that that interim so um so the interim period if if a club uh, needs 5,000 seats, if they need 10,000 seats for for their short-term vision, meaning their long-term vision is to, is to build a permanent facility, um, you know, maybe three or five years down the line. We we, we present them with a, a an option to either buy or to rent it from us. You know, what, why they, well, they get the funding. I mean, I'm guessing that some of these stadiums are costing, you know, I don't know, 50, 60 million dollars um you know a customer can come to us and for a fraction of that they could, they could purchase that asset and if if they really wanted to have that as a legacy program meaning you know maybe they they leave they they, they could leave the structure there we could uh, demount it and bring it to their, their 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 new environment so as we get closer to the cricket world cups and the with the and also the rugby world cup by the way is here in 20 uh 2031 so it's very very i think it's very exciting for the fran the franchise world in in soccer and cricket and rugby um and we are we are here to to support all of that and i see i do see uh clubs um who don't have that 50 60 70 million dollars to build a concrete environment 
um, we, we uh, as I say, at a fraction of the cost, can uh, we can uh, design and, and develop. Understood. And um, can you just give us like a number range between stadium wise of you know a million to five? Can you give us just like a number? Well, we we have a lot of inquiries for the kind of the five thousand seater stadium. It seems to be kind of maybe six thousand, five six thousand seat kind of you know temporary demountable stadiums, semi permanent structures, um, you know, with some hospitality environments. Um, you know, and I to give you a range, so it can go anywhere from uh, you know two million to, to two to three million. Let's just say. For a five thousand seat pop up stadium, um, and again, or you know, ten thousand seat stadium, you know, you could be up, you know, to four to five million dollars. Uh, I hate, I hate doing, uh, you know, figures on a on a podcast. <laughs> yeah, I just, I just want to give the viewers just like a, a perspective, just in case any owners that come across this interview and. They never know about pop stadiums or they're maybe learning more it'd be good to have a ballpark number in, in their head um and in regards to like you know taking down the stadium there's a cost to that as well which would be the labor um what what, what does that usually range around as well the, the labor portion yeah the labor portion taking I mean, uh, transporting the, the freight and the labor portion is always the is the largest amount right but in I mean, if you if you've got five thousand seats and you wanted to just uh, you know um, uh, demount them uh, and take them to the next location, you know it represents probably ten to fifteen percent of the whole contract value. I would say, mm -hmm. just on the labour side, maybe maybe a little bit more. Maybe you could be creeping up to twenty twenty percent, particularly these days. And freight is freight's horrible right now, as every business owner knows. Um, the freight is just ridiculous. I mean, we we are pulling material. We're based in Milwaukee. We have a Houston base and a Milwaukee base where our seating product is located, and we are pulling material from uh, freighting material, sorry, from Milwaukee to Las Vegas, for example. And it's like seven and a half thousand dollars just for one truck, mm -hmm. and that is crazy. But it, yeah. it's, it's the world we live in right now, I guess. And I can imagine there's, you know, maybe 10 trucks, more, even more transporting. Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, we're doing, we're doing hundreds of these things. Yeah. <laughs> uh, wow, wow, wow. Um, <laughs> you know, I guess leading towards the last thing. Um, you know, what? one of the things um, that uh, club owners uh, sh should think about is, uh, is for sure permitting. And, and as a company, we navigate the customer through that process, meaning we will present all the engineering and the design. Um, but what, if you have a an open piece of land, let's just Phoenix Rising, you, what, what's triggered this is you mentioned uh, Phoenix Rising and, and they've actually just, I think one year, I think last year just moved or maybe two years ago, just before, before COVID, uh, that they move locations. But the point here is that that their first location was literally in the in the middle of nowhere, and they had to pull all of the services, water, electric, um, from the road. So that that's that's a huge cost to maybe the landowner. I don't know, or, but but certainly someone has to um, you know invest in bringing that infrastructure in. Um, you think about all the power that you need for the lights, etc. Obviously, you need fresh water. You know, 
Um, so, so that's something else that, um, that you know that the owners should think about. And that's when you know owners are looking to purchase land. They need to think and consider about these things for the stadium. Yeah, but the purchase or, or you know um, lease, you know, Phoenix Rising just uh, leased their land, I think, on a five-year deal, and and I, I don't actually recall who who uh, foot the bill for pulling all their services in, but I remember it happening, and I remember it being quite the operation. Um, yeah. So how long do those things usually take? So Phoenix uh, was fast track. I mean, the, we we literally had that stadium built, ready to go in th in three months. It was incredible. Wow. It was a, a great, great team effort, fantastic customer to work with. Um, they just got stuff done. They engaged with the local authorities to, you know, just to just to get stuff done. Because it was exciting for the local community to have a, you know, a USL uh, team in, in Phoenix. Yeah. In regards of like water and electricity and light, they got all that stuff up within that time frame or? Yeah. Wow. That's it was incredible. Yeah, the, the, they had a construction company who kept everybody safe and kept everybody honest. And it was uh, there was you know, there was not one accident on that on the not even a you know sometimes you have a you know a crushed finger and it's a, it becomes a you know, a big issue because it becomes a recordable if you have time off of work in in, in safety terms. Um, but it was an it was an incredible effort by by the from the construction company um, you know down to people putting up the lights to us. Wow, yeah, that's impressive. That's great. Um, with saying that, Martin, was there anything else that you wanted to include um, to the podcast or add in? No, I just, you know, I have uh, my entry into football, uh, not, not playing it. Well, I played it at school, of course, because all kids in England play uh, their, their, their football, soccer, uh, school level. Uh, I went into rugby. Uh, but when I, but in my business, when I, my first business, um, uh, experience let's just say was back in back in 98 when i was uh asked by by my then boss uh his name was joe o'neill um he said hey martin we've got this uh inquiry from from stevenage borough they've been drawn in the fourth round of the fa cup um and they want to play at their stadium um in, in stevenage so you know in those days uh cream you know I, you know, Kenny Leglish was the manager of Newcastle, and Anna Shearer was the captain. And like, oh, I got a little bit starstruck. It's like, yep, I'm going to go and service this inquiry. I'm going to go meet all these people, and uh, it, 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 it was a wonderful kind of entry into like how how sports can work from from a political perspective, from a kind of a fun perspective. And uh, there's a wily old guy that that used to own uh, um, St uh, Stevenage. Called a guy called Victor Green, and he he was teasing you know Newcastle United that uh, that he wouldn't mind playing on the Hackney Marshes, and so anyway, the long short of it is um, that was uh, a, a stadium that was a five thousand seater stadium that needed to go to eight thousand, and so um, we uh, serviced the inquiry. We, we put this we put the stadium up. And uh, all the all the temporary seats up. Sorry to get it to a, to an eight thousand seater stadium. And Stevenage Stevenage Borough, their playing budget at the time was thirty thousand pounds. Newcastle's playing budget at the time was fifteen million. <laughs> right. There. Were, so there were seventy three teams. Right. Or seventy three. Yeah. Teams or, or clubs 
right, but apart. You think about that, and and they they actually drew one one, which which is incredible. And, and of course, we have this thing in England called you know the giant killers, and so Stevenage Borough were like like labelled as the uh, as the giant killers. Um, and then unless, when you have a draw, then you automatically have to go to the go to the the, the opposite team's uh, home where they lost two one. So the but but incredible story, and I love being involved in that. Uh, I don't know the whole kind of playing with the media and playing with this this huge team, you know, with this fifteen million dollar um, you know budget for players against this this kind of you know underdog, really. Yeah, yeah, and I, I loved that. I loved all that. Yeah, that's a, that's an amazing story. I mean, you got two different budgets, and you you expect you know the club with the the bigger budget to win and destroy the other team, but that wasn't the case. And it's it's always good to see the underdogs at least compete and at least tie with you know the big dogs um i appreciate yeah. you, Brian, you being on the podcast i know this was your first one so it's, it's awesome um i think you did great um, <laughs> thank you <laughs> <laughs> i have uh six fun questions that i want to end off here um so who's your favorite uh what's your favorite sport Oh, so uh, I, rugby. Um, your favorite, team, your favorite rugby team. My favorite rugby team. So, um, my favorite rugby team uh, is England, of course. But my, but at club level, um, it's probably uh, Gloucester. Gloucester I, I don't, know, I don't know anything about rugby, so I wouldn't know the team. <laughs> <laughs> I do know Arsenal, though. I do know Arsenal. I know. Um, yeah. Favorite player? I mean, Arsenal player. Favorite Arsenal player? My my favorite Arsenal player. Ah, uh, you know they won at the weekend, right? They three nil. No, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> they 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 won three nil against Bournemouth. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't watch that game. <laughs> <laughs> my favorite Arsenal player. Who could that be? I. Yeah. Whoops. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um. Favorite food. My favorite food uh, is uh, is a it's a Spanish dish, dish. It's paella. 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 And the last one, who's your favorite artist musically? Um, I would I would say that um, it's an old band, the Eagles. They just seem to be timeless. The Eagles. The Eagles. The Eagles. I'll check it. I'll check it out after. Yeah, it's um, just an old. 70s band that just has timeless music um uh I, I don't know i have some kind of affection towards them i met glenn fry once and that's 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 when you get starstruck when you meet a someone like a glenn fry uh god god bless him um yeah so as that that was in the in the in my music days uh traveling around the country uh back in england so putting up temporary seats for for those concerts yeah it's, good. it's fun <laughs> 